kids, kindergarten through fifth grade, you can make your way to the, the back. Your teachers are back there and be happy to take you to your classroom this morning. There's a lot of enthusiasm running back there right now. I'm sure we'll reap the benefits of, of hearing their joy <laughs> in their classrooms this morning. Would you take your Bible with me and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2? 2 Timothy chapter 2. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, there are a handful. Well, it looks like maybe there's only one left back there on the table. Um, and if we run out there, there are also paperback copies on the ta- far table, on the far back of that area back there, which I'm told is a narthex. This, uh, this text this morning represents an, uh, the end of our time spending looking at our core values. We've worked through the five core values that we have as a church, as Buffalo City Church. And this morning, we want to focus a little bit on our mission statement. And this text in 2 Timothy chapter 2 really provides the foundation for our mission as a, as a local church. So we're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read the first 13 verses of of this, this text. Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to Timothy, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as good soldiers of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy, for if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Maybe this has happened to you. Someone invites you over for lunch after church, or you want to borrow a tool from them, or they want you to meet their new new puppy. But you don't know, or, or maybe you just don't remember exactly where they live. So after church, they say, well, just, just, just get in your car. I'm going to drive, you, you follow me. It's not far, they say. Uh, and you ask, obviously, because this is what we do. You ask, could I just have your address so I can plug it, plug it into Google Maps just in case we get separated? And they say, no, 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 don't worry about it. Just follow me. Just, just follow me. So you hop in your car, but your friend is speeding up through yellow lights, ignoring stop signs, dangerously passing other cars and flying through school zones. And they lose you. So you ask yourself, now what? You pull over, try to get a hold of them. They don't answer, obviously. 
So you decide to just head home and connect with them later. Oftentimes, this scenario sometimes isn't that dissimilar from our Christian lives. We know that we're called to be disciples and to make disciples, but we wonder what that exactly looks like. And sometimes we feel like we're alone, like we've been left in the dust and that no one really cares to help us apply the gospel to our life circumstance. Or maybe we want to pass along the wisdom that we've accumulated over years and years of applying the gospel to our lives, but we're wondering how to find someone to do that. You've heard our mission statement here at Buffalo City Church. Our mission statement is simply this. We exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. Plain and simple. We exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. That bears some defining for us. And this text offers us some substantial grounding for that mission statement. So as we've spent time together in our core values series, We've built a better understanding of what we value as a church. What do we value as a church? It all begins with the gospel. That's where we began six weeks ago. It's the central truth of everything that we do. Without the gospel, the good news that God freely offers us salvation, forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ, without the gospel, there is no reason for us to even be here right now. There's no reason for you to be in the pew or for me to be up here preaching or for someone to be downstairs helping our children understand Scripture. Without the gospel, none of that is meaning, has any meaning at all. And we'd be fools to be here. And then, we said that we, we're grounded in Scripture. We go to Scripture, the Bible, the Word of God. We're grounded there. It represents the foundation for knowing God, understanding what He requires of us based on what he's done for us in Jesus. And then we saw that those rhythms, they work themselves out for us as a church that is centered in the gospel and grounded in scripture. We see three things that then follow, that we're faithful in worship, that we're authentic in fellowship, that we're radical in mission. These are the outworkings of people, a group of people together set aside for God's purposes who are grounded in scripture and centered in the gospel. So we value congregational worship. We seek to live lives of worship. We're always trying to show God's immense worth both to people in this room together and outside of the four walls. We value community as the backdrop for carrying out what God requires of us as His people, loving, caring for, bearing one another's burdens, forgiving one another, etc., etc., And we value mission, taking the gospel and its implications into a world that is in darkness. So, then we say that we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. So you're thinking to yourself, when you see that statement, you see the word disciple, and you ask yourself, what what is a disciple? What is a disciple? We see an answer given to us in our text this morning, but if we just want to think of a simple biblical definition, I'm just going to give you one simple thing. Disciples are hearers of God's Word and doers of God's Word. Disciples are hearers of God's Word and doers of God's Word. This passage shows us that hearing and doing God's word involves proclaiming God's word to others, 
so that they also hear and helping others apply God's word so that they also do. Hearers and doers. So we exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ because if we call ourselves disciples of Jesus but aren't helping others in their being a disciple, we are no kind of disciple at all but something else entirely. I quoted Mark Dever a few weeks ago when we started this sermon series. He says, if you say you are following Jesus but are not helping others to know and follow Jesus, then I don't know what you mean when I say I follow Jesus. That's from his little book called Discipling. It's in a library if you want to get a hold of it. So think about it like this. Think about it like this. Someone is telling you a story. This happens a lot throughout our weeks. Someone's telling you a story around the water cooler at work. It's a long story. It has lots of characters. And about halfway through, you start to think, what's the point of all of this? Probably happened to you this week. What's the point of all of this? The storyteller sees a blank look on your face, a look of confusion, and what does he say? Or what does she say? You say, are you following me? And that's what the Christian life is like. It's what followers of Jesus do. It's what disciples do. They wake up in the morning and ask, am I following Jesus? And am I participating in his story that's unfolding all around me? And then they ask the question, is someone else in my life, or the other people in my life, are they following Jesus and participating in a story that's unfolding all around them? So there's an internal component and an external component. And notice that when I said that statement, when we wake up in the morning, we ask that question, Am I following Jesus and participating in his story that's unfolding all around me? Notice that I didn't say it was your story, but Jesus' story. This is a fundamental truth that we must recognize as those who are followers of Jesus, as those who are disciples. Why would I want to follow or be a disciple of someone who exists for me? Shouldn't Jesus be following me if it's about my story? I love a simple verse in John's Gospel in verse 43 of just chapter 1. Right out of the gate. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. It's a simple statement. Jesus makes the decision to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Philip immediately turns around and finds Nathanael. And in verse 45 and 46 of chapter 1 into the Gospel of John, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. Come and see. The call is to come and see and to follow. Jesus isn't the good luck charm that follows you in your story. Making sure you don't slam your fingers in the car door or making sure you get a good deal on pants at TJ Maxx. That's not Jesus' purpose. Philip is called to follow Jesus into Jesus' story. And then Philip calls Nathaniel to come and see Jesus and also to follow Jesus in Jesus' story. Jesus' story, as is contained in the pages of Scripture, is about spreading his fame over all the earth. It's a story of reconciliation. 
It's a story of forgiveness. It's a story of kindness. It's a story that begins, God so loved the world. And it continues to this day. And so at Buffalo City Church, we've made our mission statement. We exist to make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ. And so when we get to our passage this morning, to our text this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 2, we see Paul encouraging Timothy to hold firm to his disciple-making task. Paul is encouraging Timothy as his disciple. Timothy receives 2 Timothy as a letter from Paul at the end of Paul's life. This is the last letter that we have that Paul wrote. Paul is in in prison in Rome and he senses that his death is imminent. If you read the book of Acts, this would be after the last chapter in Acts. Acts chapter 28. Paul is at the end of his life. Nero was reigning in Rome, and if you know that name, he, you know that he was intensely hostile against Christianity. And by this point, Paul was a household name when it came to Christianity. And so Paul then would be martyred, according to early church historian Eusebius, during Nero's rule. Somewhere in the mid-60s, not the 1960s, the original 60s. So our aim in looking at 2 Timothy 2, 1-13 is to gain insight in what it means to be a disciple and what it means to live like a disciple. And so we see two thoughts here in this text. Two thoughts that I want to highlight for us in this text. The first is simply this. What is the identity of the disciple? What is the identity of the disciple? And secondly then, what is the activity of the disciple? You see then that dynamic shifting here. The the hearers of God's word, the identity of them, and the doers of God's word, those who are engaged in the activities that are listed here. So the identity of the disciple and the activity of the disciple. So what is the identity of the disciple according to Paul? Here in 2 Timothy chapter 2. What is the identity of the disciple? Now we don't have any like direct you are statements here because the identity conversation is one that's very existential. We ask ourselves, who are we? Why do we exist? What's our purpose? Who are we as Christians and as followers of Jesus, as disciples, as those created in the image of God? Who are we? We ask purpose-related questions often. And this is why it's important for us to see ourselves as participating in a larger narrative, not just a narrative of our own lives, but the story of Jesus unfolding all around us. I want to be a disciple of one who all of history is pointing to. All of human history is not pointing to me and it's not pointing to you. We teach our children at a very young age that the world does not revolve around you, right? You probably said that this week if you have young kids. You can wait. Be patient. Yeah, your toast is coming. The world does not revolve around you. (laughs) 
As followers of Jesus and as disciples, we are participating in the story of the one to whom all of human history, all of history is pointing at Jesus Christ. So Timothy is a disciple of Jesus, absolutely, but he is one who is, here's a new word, one who is apprenticing under Paul. Paul is a disciple of Jesus. Timothy is a disciple of Jesus. But Timothy is not quite there yet. Paul is giving him the tools to be active in his own discipleship. So Timothy is apprenticing under Paul. You remember that important verse when we studied 1 Corinthians last year, or this over the course of 2018-2019? Paul in 1 Corinthians 11-1 writes, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Timothy is a disciple of Jesus who apprentices under Paul. He learns the ropes of being a follower of Jesus from Paul. He learns how to read the scriptures from Paul. He learns how to proclaim truth from Paul. He learns how to be discerning and confront error from Paul. He learns how to love others and honor them well from Paul and lots, lots more. So that's the image that we have in mind as we go to this text. A man, Paul, who has followed Jesus, invited Timothy to learn from him. And so Paul gives us, again, a couple of images here that are going to be helpful for us as we think about our own discipleship, as we think about our own following Jesus and how we can apprentice under others and call others into apprenticeship-like relationships. First thing that we see, four words in, if you're reading the ESV like I am, you then my child, you then my child. Disciples are children. Disciples are children. And that gives us an image of affection. That gives us image of affection. Paul calls Timothy his child or his son. It's a term of endearment. Paul has grown in affection for Timothy as Timothy has apprenticed under Paul. As we are called to help others follow Jesus, we grow in and we have affection for them. Love becomes the motivating factor for why we would have spiritual parents or spiritual children. Love is the motivating factor There is no greater thing that we can give to others. Love compels us to give them not more of what they want, not more of us, but more of Jesus. And again, if you have small children, you get this. You understand this. If you had small children at one point in your life, you can remember back clearly to these ideas. Parents should not give kids whatever they want. Parents should not give kids whatever they want. Rather, We must give them what they need. Our kids would eat candy all of the time without stopping, but Rebecca and I must give them vegetables. We have to give them vegetables. They eat their vegetables pretty well. They would watch TV all of the time, but they have a limit. And then we encourage building with Legos. We encourage pretending or coloring or playing with friends. When your kid throws a fit, you don't cave in as a parent. You know what's best and you stick to it. 
So we are called and strengthened to love. Therefore, we give truth to others. That's what's best for them. Not permission to be what they want to be, but we love them well by encouraging them to be more like Christ. Similarly, children are growing. This is part of the identity of the disciple. Children are growing. Paul has seen growth in Timothy as God works through Paul. We see a few times in the New Testament, Paul and others encouraging the men and women of churches to move from milk to solid food. As a child develops, he or she eats differently. Not just milk, but now steak and potatoes. Some hearty stuff. As a disciple develops, he or she eats differently. No longer just basics. We get those. We meditate on those. Those are important for us. But now depth of understanding, doctrinal precision, theological truth, biblical steak and potatoes, hearty stuff. The disciple's diet changes as he or she grows. A disciple is someone who is loved. A disciple is someone who is growing. Additionally, the biblical image of children is one of humility. A child needs to be instructed and corrected. A child needs to, be re- to recognize the authority of his or her parents in life. A child is curious. A child doesn't say, I know, I know. But looks at the world and seeks to understand it better. These are marks of humility. So Paul shows us that disciples are children loved by, growing under spiritual parents, humble. Disciples are children. But then look down into verse 2. And what you have heard from me, Paul also highlights that disciples are hearers. They are hearers. You remember our definition of disciple? They are hearers of God's Word and doers of God's Word. Paul highlights this clearly in this text. They are hearers of God's Word. What you've heard from me. The disciple listens to the one he or she is apprenticing under. The hearing that the disciple does, it's not limited to just this biological biological reality. It's not just frequencies and the inner workings of the ear. It's also perception. The hearing that Paul is talking about is detailed understanding. And the idea actually leads us to the second main point this morning. Obviously, again, disciples are hearers of God's Word and doers of God's Word. But before we get into the next point, let me stress what we've said here in the identity portion of the disciple. Let me stress this. Disciples are movers. There is something going on. Things aren't stagnant inside the disciple. There's growth happening because humility is being applied. Disciples are therefore growing. They're learning. They're humble. They're loved by God and loved by those they are apprenticing under. That is the identity of the disciple that we see in our text. But again, Paul doesn't leave it there. He doesn't stop in verse 2. Or even just halfway through verse 2. He continues. He gives activities. He affirms strongly. 
what James says in James 1.22 when he writes, be doers of the word and not hearers only. And it's the identity of a hearer that leads us to be a doer, to take action based on what we hear. So we ask the question as a second point this morning, what is the activity of the disciple? In this text, we see, in these 13 verses, we see five things that are given to us as commands. They're imperative. Paul is telling Timothy to do these things. They're not just statements of fact. They're commands. Paul wants Timothy to do them. Not just recognize that they're out there, but to participate in them. So these five things. Look at verse 1. He says, be strengthened. It's an imperative. Number two. In verse 2, entrust to faithful men. We say that entrusting the truth to others. In verse 3, right at the beginning of that verse, share in sufferings. Imperative. Verse 7 is the fourth one. Think over what I say. And the fifth one is in verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. So let's quickly talk about these five activities that Paul commands of Timothy in in this text. The first thing is be strengthened. Be strengthened. Now what is Paul talking about here? He's not talking about hitting the gym. This is not a physical sense. It's a spiritual one. I think we see that very clearly. Because of what comes next. What's the prepositional phrase that comes? Sorry, I'm going real English on you this morning. Um, I can't help it. The, the phrase that comes after here, by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. By the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So we find strength in grace. Now we may tempt, be tempted to say, cool, verse one, check, moving on. But we need to ask ourselves the question, how is it that we are strengthened by grace? How is it that this actually happens? This isn't an ethereal thing that we just say, okay, cool, grace will take care of that, and then move on. There are actual things that Jesus gives us. There are channels for the grace that comes to us, that God brings grace to us in. How can we be strengthened in grace? Here are a few things that the New Testament gives to us. Not at all by... This is not exhaustive. But here are five things, or a few more than five maybe, things that we can, or ways that we can be strengthened in grace. The first thing is congregational worship. The first thing is congregational worship. Another thing, the community of the local church. Third, practicing the ordinances. We're going to do that this morning. The Lord's Supper is before us this morning. We're going to participate together. This is going to be a channel to be strengthened in grace as we see the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus for the remission of our sins. We're going to be strengthened by grace because this is a portrait of the gospel for us. And as we meditate on it and reflect on what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, we receive and are strengthened in grace. Practicing the ordinances, baptism and the Lord's Supper are a way through which we are strengthened in grace. Other things, prayer. Other things, Bible reading. Other things, Bible study. These are disciplines that the disciple engages in to work out spiritual muscles and 
to be strengthened in grace. When you neglect congregational worship, when you neglect biblical community, when you neglect participating in the ordinances, when you neglect in prayer, when, you're, when you neglect Bible reading and study, you will become spiritually flabby, you will be, become more susceptible to spiritual sickness, and you will become more susceptible to spiritual heart attack. When Paul says, be strengthened, what he's saying is this, do not neglect your spiritual health and wellness. Don't do it. Rather, find yourself in the spiritual gym of those five things, those five strengtheners, or six strengtheners that we just talked about. Be built up. Be healthy. Be strengthened. These are the first activities of the disciple in order that we may be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The second activity commanded that Paul gives to Timothy is this. Look at verse 2. And this is where we're going to linger more than the other, the other three, but this one. Look at the end of verse 2. And trust to faithful men who will be able to teach also. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Entrust the truth of the gospel to others. Entrust it to them. Now, the way that we can entrust the truth of the gospel to others is because others have entrusted the truth of the gospel to us. And ultimately, God has entrusted the truth of the gospel to us. It is the precious stone that exists in the jars of clay. We are the jars of clay. We are not the, the precious message. The precious message is the thing that we are entrusted with by God. This is the activity of the disciple who makes disciples of Jesus Christ. Being strengthened by grace, Paul wants to, Timothy to take everything that he has heard from Paul, who he was apprenticing under, and find apprentices to pass that along to. Paul says that they should be faithful. Paul says that they should be able to teach others. Now, Paul is des describing a disciple who has grown in maturity finding someone who is less mature but is faithful and who has the ability to pass it along to others. Paul is aiming Timothy at those who can be church leaders, but entrusting the truth of the gospel to others is the call of every disciple. So before we move on from this particular activity, I want to give you three observations three observations that will hopefully be helpful. The first observation is this. And it kind of goes back up into that, that disciple as child mentality. As a disciple, you must humble yourself to be on the receiving end of a Paul or a Timothy who is looking to pass along the truth of the gospel so that you might grow as a disciple. We far too often think, I don't need someone to show me the spiritual ropes, I've got this. But the Bible doesn't ever say that you will arrive in this life. So you need men and women who are wiser than you, investing in you, whether you're 7 or you're 70. You don't get to a certain age or point in your Christian life where you don't need this any longer. If you want to be humble, practice saying, I don't know, could you help me? The second observation that I'll point out here under this activity is this. 
and I've mentioned this already, but I want to really hammer this home this morning. As a disciple, you must see yourself as operating in Jesus' story and not your own. As a disciple, you must see yourself as operating in Jesus' story and not your own. I mentioned this in my introduction again, but entrusting the truth of the gospel to men and women is not about you and your story. It's about Jesus' story and how he intends to tell his story. It's through his church. Doing another person intentional spiritual good and discipleship isn't about them, and it's not about you. It's about making the name of Jesus famous. You're caught up in this narrative. You're not the main character. But the main character has entrusted this truth to you. And it keeps his story going. You're not doing someone's spiritual good so that they can live their best life while you live your best life. You're doing someone's spiritual good so that they can, along with you, declare the infinite worth of Jesus Christ. The third observation I would make under the heading of this activity is this. As a disciple, you must see all people as those who God can transform through the truth of the gospel. As a disciple, you must see all people as those who God can transform through the truth of the gospel. What I mean is this. Every person on the face of the earth, if God chose to grip them with the gospel, could be someone who is faithful and teaches others. No exceptions. That person might yet, not yet have believed the gospel, or they may be growing, maturing Christ follower already. But if they have breath in their lungs and their heart is pumping blood, God can transform them. And when we talk about disciple-making, we're not talking about those who are here or those who are out there. We're talking about everyone. Find faithful men and women and entrust the truth of the gospel to them. Whether they are a strong, mature Christian, an infant in Christ, or someone who has never even heard the gospel. So with these observations in mind, let, let me outline one hurdle in our culture that is ultimately a fallacy. That I think rises at an objection, whether it's conscious or subconscious, it's in our minds when we start to think about apprenticing under or, for, or, or calling others to imitate us as we imitate Christ. The sense is this, and this is rampant in our society. The sense is that if we suggest to someone that we can help them or offer them spiritual good or help, that somehow makes them lesser as a person or us judgmental. If we can offer them spiritual help, people oftentimes take that as, well, you think that I'm lesser. You are judgmental. Church, we need to see this as a scheme of Satan that it actually is. An attempt to distract us by rejecting our spiritual good in the name of the preservation of our self-esteem. We need to all, as disciples of Jesus, take a 
humble posture and be willing to say, wow, I, maybe I do need to grow in this area and I need to help and I need the help of faithful men and women of God. It is not possible for a Christian to be a spiritual lone ranger. It's not possible. This is how God designed it. So rather than defensively saying, how dare that person suggest that I'm inferior or need spiritual help, say humbly, I need to grow. Can this person or someone else help me with that? So, Backing up, this is the second activity of the disciple, entrusting the truth of the gospel to others, existing to be a disciple who makes disciples of Jesus Christ. The third thing that we see here, the third activity in verse 3, Paul tells Timothy to share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Your translation might say, endure affliction. Endure affliction. Paul compares the disciple to a soldier here. In order to share in the sufferings of Christ, we must be patient. Disciples endure suffering for the sake of the gospel if they are persecuted, slandered, and treated unjustly. The reality of sin in our world is such that those who are in Christ will face difficulty, adversity, and trials. But our captain and king, Jesus Christ, tells us to Take heart because He has overcome the world. We can endure affliction because it's temporary. We can share in the suffering of Jesus because Jesus suffered on our account. And we can even share in the sufferings of one another because we have great promises like Matthew 5.10 where Jesus says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Disciples suffer with one another when others speak ill of us when we proclaim the gospel. Disciples suffer with one another when lives are threatened or when religious freedoms are revoked. Disciples suffer with one another in the wake of the loss of a loved one. Disciples suffer with one another when a loved one turns his or her back on gospel truth. But in this text, in verse 3, share in sufferings as a good soldier. I think there's a deeper sense that exists here. I think this is the way that Paul sets this up and the way that we should take what he says in verse 3 first. Share in sufferings means sharing in or being prepared to to, to lose or suffer the loss of all things. We suffer and are afflicted in our day-to-day life, but oftentimes we do it kicking and screaming. Paul says that the posture of the disciple is one who is prepared at any given moment in his or her life to suffer the loss of all things. Calvin would write it this way. The condition of military discipline is such that as soon as a soldier has enrolled himself under a general, he leaves his house and all his affairs and thinks of nothing but war. And in like manner, in order that we may be wholly devoted to Christ, we must be free from all the entanglements of this world. We share in the suffering. We share in suffering like Paul in Philippians 3.8 says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. This is the posture of the disciple. 
A disciple who makes disciples is prepared to suffer the loss of all things. Disciples willingly give up all things to follow Jesus, thereby sharing in suffering. And our ultimate example is found in Jesus himself, giving up the comforts of heaven, leaving everything, condescending to earth, where there he would suffer at the hands of wicked sinners like you and I, and ultimately giving up his life for those sinners. Suffering the loss of all things. Being a disciple means being willing to lose everything for the sake of Jesus Christ and his bride, the church. The fourth activity that we see of a disciple found in verse 7. We're going to lump this together with verse 8, these last two. Paul tells Timothy to think over what I've said. And then in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. When Paul says in verse 7, think over what I've said, what he's calling Timothy to do is to meditate on the things that he has said. Not like in an Eastern practice sort of way, but in a way that comes to us in a biblical sense. It's allowing our thoughts to linger on God for the sake of our spiritual health. This is informed by what Scripture says about God. King David was the, is, the, is the example of this for us. Meditation and remembrance. These words come to us in a psalm that he wrote, Psalm 63. He says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich foods. King David writes this psalm when he was in the wilderness in Judah. And he calls the truth about God that which can satisfy his soul. Not bread and water, but God. And he calls the truth about God. He recalls it. He brings it to mind. He remembers it. And then he lets his thoughts linger there. What did your thoughts linger on last night as you fell asleep? Was it God? Was it a difficult situation at work or Maybe a kid who had a tough day or an elderly parent not sure how long they're going to live. What did our thoughts linger on? David says, when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of night, my soul will be satisfied. So that's what Paul tells Timothy to do. Paul says, Timothy, I've given you the truth about God and what He's done for you and us in Jesus Christ. Let your thoughts linger there. Think over what I say. Let your soul be satisfied with the truth that I've spoken to you. This is discipleship. This is one man doing another man intentional spiritual good. And then in verses 8-13, through Paul reminds Timothy of the Gospel. 
and why Paul has been so willing to suffer through imprisonment. Not because Paul wants to tell his own story, but because he's caught up in the story of what Jesus is doing in the world. And just like Paul was caught up in that story 30 to 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, so are we as the church caught up in that story 2,000 years later. We must remember Jesus Christ and call others to remember Him also. So in conclusion this morning, in order to be a church that exists to be disciples, who make disciples of Jesus Christ, we must have spiritual parents and spiritual children. We must be strengthened through God-given graces. We must be ready to entrust the gospel to others. We must be ready to suffer the loss of all things for the sake of the gospel. We must meditate and remember the truth of who God is and what He's done for us in Christ Jesus. We must be, friends, we must be hearers and doers of the Word. Disciples or Christians or followers of Jesus naturally make disciples. Those who hear and truly understand also do. They participate in the activities of disciple. They're strengthened in grace. They entrust or pass along the truth of the gospel. They share in the suffering loss of all things. They meditate on and remember the gospel in all circumstances. And there's a warning in this text also. There's a warning that comes to us in this text also. If you read it, if you've read this and you've heard these things, and you think, I'm not into that. I'm, I'm just not about that. I'm not interested. Just leave me alone so I can do what I want. Let me say this as gently as I can. You're not a disciple. You're not a follower of Jesus. You're not a Christian. You need to repent of your sinful self-will and run to Jesus. You desperately need Him. He's the only one that can forgive you. And you need to pray earnestly that you would be a hearer who has the humility of a spiritual child and that you would be and have the desire to develop into a full-fledged doer of the Word. My hope, Buffalo City Church, my hope is that we would be a church that are both hearers and doers. And that we would make disciples who make disciples of Jesus Christ.